0: and thanks for joining us for a Campus Safety Podcast. My name is Zach Wynn. I am an editor with Campus Safety and I'll be hosting today's show. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Paul Tim. Paul is a longtime physical security consultant and he's spent a lot of time helping school officials. He's presented at a bunch of our Campus Safety Conferences and his sessions are consistently the ones that our attendees say they get the most out of. So I'm thrilled to have him on. Paul, first of all, thanks for joining me today.
1: I'm glad to be here, Zach. Thank you for including me.
0: Yeah. And so I think it'd be a good start. We're going to be talking about emergency drills today and, you know, how school officials can get the most out of these exercises. So, Paul, first of all, why don't you start by telling us about your experience with emergency drills and, you know, what you do in your security consulting roles?
1: Sure. Uh, well, first, I want to let you know that uh, I grew up at Argonne National Labs, which is a Department of Energy okay. facility in the Chicago area. And so I was exposed to the need for emergency preparedness and, for that matter, um, loss prevention services um, You know, back in my youth. My dad worked there and was tasked at one point with the site security upgrade, and um, from there started his own consulting business in 1984. A, a business that I began, I joined in the late 90s, and then began to run in 2005. And now I work mm-hmm. for a firm called Facility Engineering Associates, which bought Rita Security. Okay.
0: And so you know, tell me about sort of some high-level goals that uh, you know school officials should be getting out of these emergency planning sessions. What are some top-of-mind objectives for when people sit down?
1: Well, I always like to talk about the three Cs. Uh, The first one is that whatever we're doing in terms of emergency preparedness should be collaborative. If anyone is attempting to put together emergency procedures and plans in a silo, you are already in big trouble. We've got to have a broad base of, of stakeholder input, and uh, so it must be collaborative. Second of all, um, the plans that we have in place, the procedures that we follow must be current. Things are changing, and what we do for uh, in, in the event of an active shooter is different than what we used to. In fact, Zach, what we do for uh, tornadoes in schools is different than what we were doing just five or ten years ago before the Joplin tornado took place. So, um, you know, things are constantly changing. Federal guidelines are are changing and evolving. Our planning must be current. And then the final C is comprehensive. You know, a lot of times we look at emergency plans and we say, okay, they've got everything from A to Z except for their missing MNOP. And, uh, and so what, whatever we're doing in terms of emergency planning must be as comprehensive as possible. And you know what I'm talking about because over the years we had to add in things like H1N1 or business resilience or whatever it might be, uh, business continuity. Those kinds of things um, I find are often missing with uh, with emergency plans that are that are um, outdated or or simply not comprehensive. So those three C's: collaborative, current, and comprehensive. Mm, great.
0: And so what kind of training exercises specifically do you advocate for K through twelve schools and colleges?
1: Well, um uh, probably two come to mind right off the bat. Uh the first one is I would say our, our our functional drills are so important. We must be doing fire drills, we must be doing severe weather preparedness drills, and we must be doing some kind of violence uh preparedness drill, like like um an active assailant kind of a drill. And that goes for all um, all levels of education, K through 12 and higher education. A lot of times, Zach, I'll find myself on a university campus and they haven't conducted a fire drill in that particular building or whatever it might be, m- maybe for years, if ever. And, uh, and so we have to actually walk through those drills. Um, that's the first kind that I advocate in that personal participation is is important because people have to make a personal investment. Um the other kind of drill that comes to mind right off the, the bat is is tabletop drills and I really like tabletop drills because what we do is we gather the people who would be at the forefront of the response, maybe our you know our key administrators and, and people who who are on the front lines, and we throw out a scenario, and they have to decide how they would handle that scenario right on their their own campus, using their own resources, with their own looking their own people eye to eye. Uh, those would be the two kinds of of drills that I think are most important.
0: Mm-hmm. And the the former uh, that you mentioned with severe weather and and those uh, three scenarios. By drill, you were referring to kind of like full-scale exercises, um, like where you're acting out scenarios?
1: Yes, and I want to make a distinction there. Uh, When you use the term full-scale, full-scale means that we might even involve the whole community. I I don't think that's necessary. For example, if I'm a, a university and I've never really run an active assailant drill, I might not have everybody on campus participate the first time I do that, although that is my ultimate goal, Um, but I might start with one building um, and maybe I might do that the Wednesday before Thanksgiving because campus is cleared out a little bit and I can at least get my feet wet. Um, I look at all drills, Zach, as rungs on a ladder. Nobody is ready uh, to do a full scale exercise. It just takes so much planning if you haven't climbed up the ladder a little ways. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do think you are right in saying let's get as many people as possible involved as soon as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting into that, you know, who specifically should be participating in you know the tabletop sessions and then when schools are ready for it, uh, like larger scale trails?
1: Well, let's start with tabletop. You have to have your key administrators there as well. And if I'm in K through 12, you know, for example, I've got to have um, somebody from the district level. I, I would hope to have superintendent, maybe business manager. I would want director of buildings and grounds. I would need people that are in buildings as administrators, like principals, deans. Uh, As many as I can get, I would want in the tabletop exercise and the way to determine who's going to be involved, Zach, at minimum is let's get our incident command system structure and from from NIMS-100, that's the National Incident Management System, and let's make sure that we have all of those roles filled. For example, who's our public information officer? who is going to be the incident commander if we have a situation who would be in charge of operations of finances they they can just fill that out and in the school or even in higher education we might be able to do not just our first uh, level people but remember the ICS document has a backup for all of your first level people and then a backup for the backup and so i've actually run some tabletop exercises where we've had the A team and the B team and maybe even a C-team all going at the same time. So that's at minimum for tabletop. Once we talk about more of a, a functional drill, like a, a fire drill, we, we really have to think about getting as many people involved as would be in that building at any given time. And uh, same for severe weather and, and active assailant. We have to get all of those stakeholders who would be there involved. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And, you know, you've great scenarios in your workshops. And for the the listeners, you know, you're not getting the full Paul Tim effect here. I think, Paul, you're at your best when you've got a massive uh, clock on the front of the room and you're calling on random people to defend their decisions in these, you know, uh, complex scenarios. And that really gets people thinking, you know, you get the pressure and the, you know, uh, real-time simulation of, you know, What these scenarios entail. So, you know, how do you do you have any suggestions for school officials for, you know, if they're looking for good scenarios and just looking for best practices and like to get the most out of them?
1: Yes. Uh, Thank you, by the way, for the compliments. Uh, And uh, I would say that Google is probably the best way. You can find almost any information that you want in a search engine. And so, you, you know, you could really just search for tabletop exercises for schools and be able to find some things. States, depending on where you are, quite often have through the State Board of Education or another governing agency have have those kinds of scenarios that you can find as well. Um, but if I were just starting in this, Zach, and I was, let's just say, XYZ school district, I might make a couple phone calls to surrounding school districts, or I would call my local emergency responders, maybe maybe police and fire, and say, hey, this is what we're interested in doing. Do you have some scenarios that we can borrow? Your responders for sure will have some scenarios. The state agencies might have some scenarios. And then, of course, as I mentioned, neighboring districts or neighboring colleges and universities, they will have covered some of this ground. We don't have to reinvent the wheel.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice, I think. And there's tons of good resources online. It's as simple as Googling it sometimes. Um, All right. And so what are some common mistakes that you see school officials make when they're planning and conducting uh, these tabletop exercises?
1: Well, one of the mistakes that we see is, and I love to use this phrase, that perfect is the enemy of good enough. I find that some administrators, they're they're trying to have something be exactly the way it should be before they ever implement it. And that's that's a big mistake. Uh, we we want to just begin. Uh, a lot of times an entity will say, well, we don't want to do a lockdown drill because we know that we would fail. And I like to say to them, yes, you will. Um, and that's why we're doing it, because we don't want to fail during a real situation <laughs> We we want to fail during a simulation, a drill, an exercise of some kind so that we can identify our priorities and our vulnerabilities and how we prioritize those. Here's an example. I was working with a parks and rec institution and they had a um, an ice skating rink and they said, you know, we can never have a lockdown. We can never be prepared for an active shooter here. And I said, let's let's just try. <laughs> and what we did is we sent groups into different parts of the building just to see what it would be like if we made an announcement. And um, so we we began that whole process. And what we found is, at the time that we were running this, there were kids who were doing the individual skating lessons to music. You know how you have choreographed music mm-hmm. for skating, and the PA system did not override the music in the rink. <laughs> So, so they couldn't even make a mass notification announcement. Well, that's that's a big problem, and um, it was discovered because we ran a drill. And, and you say, well, Paul, that really sounds ultra obvious. And all I can say is this: if we're not addressing the ultra obvious on our terms, it's going to have to be addressed when it really counts. And if we fail, then then we're really in big trouble. So that the, the first mistake is waiting too long, waiting for something perfect. I think the second mistake is. That we don't have a sufficient number of stakeholders. And th- what happens then is we say to our security department or to our, our campus police or whomever it might be, please just do this drill so we can check it off our checklist. But they do the drill, they were already interested in the drill, they know how to run the drill, but all of the people that we needed to get input from weren't there. So it, it must be that we've got a broad base of stakeholders, and I find many administrators forget that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so do
0: you have any advice for school officials that are struggling to get administrators, stakeholders, the higher uh, level people in a district or college, uh, how how to get them to make emergency planning and to make these drills a priority?
1: Yes. The first thing I would say is we have to educate. You know, the probably the number one reason that administrators, whether we're K-12 through 12 or higher education, are losing sleep at night is because they're hoping that they're not the next place where there's a bad incident. And I, I don't mean – I'm not trying to be shocking because in many ways an active shooter or active assailant incident is really still an anom- anomaly but a severe weather incident is not an anomaly. The, the The fact is we're all going to face these kinds of things. And so I need to educate my administrators to say, here's the best way that we can be prepared for a situation like this. And I only need 60 minutes of your time or, or whatever it is. And And that's the second thing I want to say about that. When we educate, we should educate and make sure that we have persuasive and convincing arguments if I go to, and, 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 and I'm going to actually go back to the last question you asked me too, which is something that administrators make mistakes with in exercises, a lot of times we don't make them time-bounded, and that's, that's a big problem. So we start this exercise, everybody was kind of into it for the first 30 minutes or so, but now we're two and a half hours into this, this you know, no time-bounded exercise, and we've lost our audience. Um so I, I really like to make my tabletop exercises time bounded. And as you mentioned, I'm calling out time and I'm making them make decisions as fast as as fast as a real event might be. But uh I think if we're going to educate our administrators so that we get their buy-in, we have to come to them with a game plan that is 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 something that they can swallow, is something they know is gonna help. And is something that they know once we've finished this, we're closer to being safe than we are today. And listen, we all know that there's no such thing as, as a perfect um, learning environment in terms of safety and security. But we sure can significantly reduce our risk if we are planning ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe this would vary for each campus. But do you have any advice for determining how often... Officials should be holding these exercises.
1: Well, in many cases, the state is going to dictate that, Zach. I live in Illinois, and on the K-12 level, you have to conduct three fire drills a year. Many states are higher than that, but in Illinois, you have to do three fire drills, but one has to be monitored and signed off on by the fire department as having been done correct. So that adds some teeth in terms of accountability. Um, Also in the state of Illinois, we require one bus evacuation drill, one severe weather drill, which for us is generally a tornado drill, and one active assailant drill, which again, most people choose something that would be active shooter. If I don't have those kinds of state requirements and I'm running some kind of a college or even a, a school district, I would say minimum once a semester and and generally toward the beginning never at the start when people are are still trying to figure out where everything is but toward the top of that semester and I want to add one thing to that I know that if you can combine drills you can get a whole lot more mileage out of them let me give you an example if I've said hey um this September after we've been in school for a week couple of weeks we are going to do a fire drill on Thursday at 10 a.m., and that will be immediately followed by an active shooter drill. The benefit of doing that is not just, first of all, that we have less disruptions throughout the semester where we have to schedule one this month, one that month. Uh, we're, We're combining them, but the bigger value is this, Zach. Now I have my fire responders there for the fire drill, and they're able to stay for the lockdown drill. And now I already know I have my local law enforcement coming for the lockdown drill, but I'm asking them to come a little earlier for the fire drill. Now everybody's beginning to see the arenas that generally used to be kind of separate, um, and I I think that that kind of collaborative effort is, is invaluable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, And so, you know, wrapping up here, do you have any more tips for school officials who are trying to start this program of regular emergency exercises and getting the most out of them?
1: Yes. The phrase that I like to use the best goes like this. There are only two times where we will know if our emergency procedures work. One of those times is during the actual emergency, which of course would be inconvenient if we find out that they're not working. The other is if we're practicing. Whatever we can do to practice, even if we're failing miserably, is like money in the bank and getting ready for an actual emergency. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: and I think that is uh, a good place to end it. Paul, do you have any for administrators that want more than just a 15-minute podcast on this? Do you have any other resources that you encourage people to look into or uh, any ways that uh, they can reach out to you?
1: Yes. Um my email address is Paul.tim and that's T-I-M-M, Paul.tim at F E A, which stands for Facility Engineering Associates, P C Public Corporation, F E A P C dot com. So Paul.tim at F E A P C dot com is is the place where you can get a hold of me. Um I would also say that um as you mentioned, the there are so many good resource um, places. You can Google NIMS 100, that's the National Incident Management System, and, and take that free course online. You can also go to the Department of Education and um, and the Department of Homeland Security, both of which have wonderful resources on how to prepare for emergencies.